CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. From the Jack-Jack Memorial Reading Throne within the Jill Schwartz Memorial Library here in the wilds of Connecticut, this is... Obscure, the podcast in which I read Jude the Obscure out loud and comment on it as I go. We are still, of course, in mourning here in the wilds of Connecticut. We have retrieved Jack Jack's ashes, and he is now residing in a little tin can. I mean, it's nicer than that. You know, it's like a a tin urn, I suppose, beside the, mash, the the ashes of our other two dead dogs. And we are debating what exactly we should do with the ashes. Now, keep in mind, we have been carrying around the ashes of our first dog for 20 years, it seems like, close to 15 years, 16 years, something like that. No, I think about 18, 20 years. But I think we are finally resolved to burying uh, these three urns somewhere on our property. Otherwise, what will eventually happen is we our house will just get overrun with the ashes of dead dogs and possibly other animals. If we should welcome other animals into our lives, we do have a cat named Alfie. Alfie is uh, probably on the low end of middle age for a cat, shows no signs of ill health, but often runs out into the night. And here in the wilds of Connecticut, of course, there are other wild animals that could easily rip Alfie from limb to limb, in which case we probably would never find the body and there would be no ashes to collect. So we wouldn't have to worry about burying him. So, yes, we remain in mourning here. Um, we have been sitting Shiva for Jack-Jack since the last time I spoke with you. All the mirrors are covered. We are wearing black. We are sad. But, of course, in our period of mourning, we have neglected to 
further the story of Jude and Sue and Arabella. And the last time that I spoke with you regarding the story, Arabella had sunk her little cat claws into the tender flesh of Jude, the tender and raw flesh of Jude, still reeling from losing Sue to Phillotson, still utterly disoriented, dismayed, and unmoored. And gradually, Arabella has clawed her way back into Jude's life for reasons that are probably a bit opaque even to her. But we, the readers and listeners of this podcast, and of course, I did not introduce myself at the beginning of this podcast, and so I shall. I am your host, your literary mansplainer-in-chief, Michael Ian Black. We know that Sue is fire. She is trying to burn Jude to the ground. And Jude is earth He is the ground himself. He works with stone. He comes from mud. And she is trying to destroy him. She doesn't know that, 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 that that's what she's trying to do, but it is because it destroying him sustains her. So she has given him the update on Sue. He ran out of that place, ran out of like where, where he, uh, he met her and basically wandered around uh, till he found a bar, went inside the bar. Meanwhile, Arabella went back to her dad's house and said, hey, dad, I, I, th- I think I'm getting married again because Arabella looks at his distress as opportunity for her. She says, I think I'm going to get married again. He says, great, whatever you have to do so that I never have to look at your stupid fucking face again. Great. He doesn't say it in those words, but that is the subtext. She says, okay, cool. Uh, Listen, I'm going to go out. I'm going to get my man. Uh, Do me a favor. Just keep the front door unlocked in case I need to come back here. He's got a little pork shop, you know, where he sells pork. And look, That's what Arabella has in mind for herself right now. A little porkin. So now we pick up the story. She says, well, don't do the door. That's all I say. That was to her father. She then sailed out again and first hastening back to Jude's to make sure he had not returned, began her search for him. A shrewd guess as to his probable course took her straight to the tavern which Jude had formerly frequented and where she had been barmaid for a brief term. She had no sooner opened the door of the private bar than her eyes fell upon him, sitting in the shade at the back of the compartment with his eyes fixed on the floor in a blank stare. He was drinking nothing stronger than ale just then. He did not observe her, and she entered and sat beside him. Jude looked up and said without surprise, You've come to have something, Arabella. I'm trying to forget her, that's all, but I can't, and I'm going home. She saw that he was a little way on in liquor, but only a little as yet. I've come entirely to look for you, dear boy. You are not well. Now you must have something better than that. So she's trying to get him drunk, right? Because she knows there's not going to be any porkin if he's in a sober state of mind. So she's trying to get him drunk. She's trying to trap him, basically. She's trying to just, you know, wrap her legs around him metaphorically and literally. 
Now, you must have something better than that. Arabella held up her finger to the barmaid. You shall have a liqueur. That's better fit for a man of education than beer. You shall have a maraschino or curacao, dry or sweet, or cherry brandy. And I know I always say curacao, curacao, curacao. I know I always get that word wrong. Uh, But I have so few opportunities in my life to use it that I don't care. It's a liqueur. And so she is trying to, uh, she's charming and flattering him. She's saying, oh, you're too smart for a working man's beer. Have a spinster's drink instead. Cherry brandy. I'll treat you, poor chap. I don't care which. Say cherry brandy. Sue has served me badly. Very badly. I didn't expect it of Sue. I stuck to her and she ought to have stuck to me. I'd have sold my soul for her sake, but she wouldn't risk hers a jot for me. To save her own soul, she lets mine go damn. But it isn't her fault, poor little girl, I am sure it isn't. So even in his most condemnatory, is that a word? Let's just say condemning. Her, his most condemning remarks towards Sue, he can't quite bring up the bile in his throat that surely is burning his esophagus. He wants to condemn her, but even in his most miserable, cannot. And he's not wrong. I'd have sold my soul for her sake, but she wouldn't risk hers a jot for me. And that has been his complaint to her from the beginning, that his feelings, his overwhelming emotions for her are not reciprocated. Now, of course, the way the way love is supposed to work, I think, is it should live without expectation. It can be dimmed, of course. It can be extinguished, of course, when not met with some softness, when not greeted with some welcome. But the idea that I love you, therefore you should love me is silly, of course. Except that Sue, in the previous 400 pages or what have you, has at every turn encouraged Jude's love, but has been unable to return it in the way that he wants. And so when he says he would have risked his soul for her, he means it. And when he says that uh, or sold his soul for her, but she wouldn't risk hers a jot for me, I suspect... Well, that may be a little bit of an exaggeration. She does care for him, just not in that way. Not fully in that way. Not in the way I care for you, listener. That said, I need a break because I'm thinking about you in that way, listener. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home? isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. 
Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Hi again. I'm ready to keep reading. Jude and Arabella are, uh, they're just in a bar. How Arabella had obtained money did not appear, but she ordered a liqueur each and paid for them. When they had drunk those, Arabella suggested another, and Jude had the pleasure of being, as it were, personally conducted through the varieties of spirituous delectation. I'm going to say that again because I want to get it right. Spirituous delectation by one who knew the landmarks well. And we can almost see the smile on Hardy's face as he's scribbling out those words, personally conducted through the varieties of spirituous delectation by one who knew the landmarks well. And we can see him smiling and patting himself on the back and saying, that's a good one, Tommy. That's a good one. Hey, Shakespeare, that's a good one. Arabella kept very considerably in the rear of Jude, but though she only sipped where he drank, she took as much as she could safely take without losing her head, which was not a little, as the crimson upon her countenance showed. She's roofing him, basically, you know, she's roofing him. She's trying to, she's trying to get him drunk. And you know, what is she really thinking that she's going to get pregnant? Is that what she's thinking? Is that the plan? Is that the goal to get pregnant by him again, to have another little father time to invite further tragedy into their lives? Well, of course, that's what she wants. She invites tragedy. She welcomes it. She opens the door for it. She wants chaos. She wants trouble. Her tone towards him tonight was uniformly soothing and cajoling, and whenever he said, I don't care what happens to me, a thing he did continually, she replied, but I do very much. The closing hour came, and they were compelled to turn out, whereupon Arabella put her arm round his waist and guided his unsteady footsteps. When they were in the streets, she said, I don't know what our landlord will say to my bringing you home in this state. I expect we are fastened out so that he'll have to come down and let us in. I don't know. I don't know. That's the worst of not having a home of your own. I tell you, Jude, what we had best do. Come round to my father's. I made it up with him a bit today. I can let you in and nobody will see you at all. And by tomorrow morning, you'll be all right. Anything, anywhere, replied Jude. What the devil does it matter to me? 
They went along together, like any other fuddling couple, her arm still round his waist, and his at last round hers, though with no amatory intent, but merely because he was weary, unstable, and in need of support. Yes, he is in need of support. And what kind of support is he getting? He's leaning on jello is what he's doing. He's leaning on a pile of jello and he's going to fall right through and bust his face up. That's what's going to happen. You know, they're going to go back to the pork shop, make a little bacon, you know, make a little piglet. I mean, but really, what is her long term plan here? Does she think beyond the moment? What does she think? I mean, she did say, I think I'm going to marry again. But why? Why? You and I know she is there to destroy. But when in her mind, what is she doing? Does she really and, and does any part of her believe that she will find happiness in this reunion? Does any part of her believe that or does she just not care? She just wants to go from thing to thing to thing the way so many of us do. We have no grand strategy for our lives. We just tick and tack, you know, we just find the wind, let it blow us this way, find the wind, blow it, let it blow us that way. And therefore, and and thereupon make a journey for ourselves. And Jude says anything, anywhere. And that is what he is trying to do for himself. Tick, then tack. It matters not where the wind is blows him. He just knows that he is helpless in its face. Sue now has the sail, right? Sue is now guiding her boat towards some unknown destination. She herself does not know where she is going. And she thinks she is in control of her own destiny. But of course, as we have learned over the course of this podcast, life sometimes has choices for us that we did not make for ourselves despite what we may believe to be our own free will. This is, uh, I'm quoting, this is Jude now uh, talking again. This is the murderer's burning place, he stammered as they dragged across a broad street. I remember in old Fowler's holy state. That's a footnote there, 62. Got to look up the footnote, Fowler's uh, holy state. There's a burning, there's a martyr. That's where they burn the martyr. 62. We're getting to the end of the, uh, the notes here. 62. Thomas Fuller in the holy state published in 1648 tells how, this is maybe the longest note we've ever seen, tells how, quote, Dr. Smith at the burning of Ridley used this text against him, no doubt to show that in the view of the Roman authorities and of Queen Mary, he was not a martyr, but a heretic. Fuller says, quoting, these bishops, ministers and lay people which were put to death in Queen Mary's days were worthy saints of God, holy and godly men, but had their faults failings and imperfections had they not been men they had been not burnt yea had they not been more than men by god's assistance they had not burnt every true christian should but none but strong christians will die at the stake 
Okay, nice. Jude's train of thought, not fully developed because of Arabella's lack of interest in it, seems to be that in remarrying, he has given his body to be burned, though without charity, and that Sue has given her body, but for conscience sake. So listen, that's a long way to go to say that I was fucking right about Sue, right? What are we talking about here? Burning, burning people alive, burning heretics, burning martyrs alive. And what is Sue but that all-consuming fire? I mean, my God, my literary mansplaining is just top-notch. She just wants to burn. Now, uh, they're at the burning place, he stammered, and I'm reminded of it by our passing by here. Old Fuller, in his holy state, says that at the burning of Ridley, Dr. Smith preached sermon and took as his text, though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing." Often think of it as I pass here. Ridley was a... Yes, exactly. Very thoughtful of you, dearie, even though it hasn't much to do with our present business. Why, yes, it has. I'm giving my body to be burned. I mean, I've been saying this. I've been saying this, you guys. I wish I had like a Patreon because I feel like you would owe me money for this analysis. He's giving his body to be burned. He just said it. I'm giving my body to be burned, but uh, you don't understand. It wants Sue to understand such things, and I was her seducer, poor little girl, and she's gone, and I don't care about myself. Do what you like with me. And yet she did it for conscience's sake, poor little Sue. Do what you like with me, he's saying. So he is not totally ignorant of the situation to which he has placed himself. He is now martyring himself, though, like Dr. Smith, though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. He's saying, you're going to burn me, Sue. But what do I gain from it? A martyr in martyring him or herself gains something from the martyrdom. That seems to be the implication. And I guess what the martyr gains is uh, a place in heaven, right? I mean, what else, what else would the martyr gain? But he, Jude, believes like Dr. Smith or Ridley or whoever, what this, or Fuller, I don't know who the fuck these people are, believes that he will gain nothing in giving himself over to whatever Sue has in mind, in murdering himself. He is not, he, he, he is not fit for reward. He has so bespoiled his own self, his own stinking soul that he is he is nothing 
he is not even worthy of being blown by the wind, or in this case, by Arabella. Poor little Sue. Hang her. I mean, I think she was right, hiccuped Arabella. I've my feelings too, like her, and I feel I belong to you in heaven's eye and to nobody else till death do us part. It is hick. It says hick. It is hick. Never too late hick to mend. I mean, I guess this is Hardy's attempted comedy here, you know. The old, the old drunken sods stammering and weaving themselves down the cobblestone streets. Nobody else till death do us part, she says. But of course, her being with him to him is a kind of death. It has already parted him from his own soul. They had reached her father's house, and she softly unfastened the door, groping about for a light within. The circumstances were not altogether unlike those of their entry into the cottage at Crescombe such a long time before, nor were perhaps Arabella's motives, but Jude did not think of that, though she did. I can't find the matches, dear, she said, when she had fastened up the door, but never mind, this way, as quiet as you can, please. It's as dark as pitch, said Jude. Well, of course it is, Jude, because it's always dark and gloomy when bad shit is about to happen in Jude the Obscure. (laughs) Always dark and gloomy. And of course they're back among the pigs. They're back among the carnal. They are back among the flesh. Sue is air. Arabella is fire. In this case, the fire of her loins. And what are loins? But a cut of meat. It's dark as pitch, said Jude. Give me your hand and I'll lead you. That's it. Just sit down here and I'll pull off your boots. I don't want to wake him. Who? Father. He'd make a row, perhaps. Which father are we talking about now? I ask. Which father? Who? Which father would make a row, do you think? Her own? Or the higher father? Because now we are getting into the shit, right? All this talk of martyrs raises the question of to whom are they martyring themselves, and it is to the father. And would he make a row, perhaps? Well, I suspect he would. Not at Jude, but at Arabella. What is she doing down there? What is she doing to this poor servant of God? And even though Jude has given up his faith, how can we argue that he is anything but a servant of God? Who has been more penitent or pious than Jude? Who has devoted himself with greater fervor to bettering his own soul than Jude? Who has pondered the mysteries of life more than poor Jude? Who has suffered more? Probably a lot of people. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. But in this book, let's say in this book, nobody. It's just Jude. And it would be hard to imagine a God that was not pleased with his son, Jude, who has suffered so much and borne so much 
on his stonemason shoulders. And when he looked down and saw Arabella, that scamp, seducing his drunken servant, well, yeah, I think that would cause a row. And now, let's take another break. Hi, I'm back. We're wrapping up Chapter 6. Back to Arabella and Jude. She pulled off his boots. Now, she whispered, take hold of me. Never mind your weight. Now, first stare, second stare. But are we out in our old house by Mary Green? Asked the stupefied Jude. I haven't been inside it for years till now. Hey, and where are my books? That's what I want to know. We are at my house, dear, where there's nobody to spy out how ill you are. Now, third stare, fourth stare. That's it. Now we shall get on. And that is the end of chapter six. And they are getting on, aren't they? They are fully getting on. Taking off his boots and she's going to knock them. Going to be knocking some boots. I mean, it is a kind of beautiful ending, right? A beautiful foreboding ending. She's leading him up the stairs. And where are his books? Where is his faith? Where is, where are the last remnants of hope that he may have? And of course, the books were disposed of years ago. He has nothing more, nothing more to save him. There are no books there to guide him. And she knows it. And she says it. We're in my place now, bitch. She doesn't say bitch, but she might as well. We are at my house, dear, where there's nobody to spy out how ill you are. No, nobody but Arabella, who is like the hyena stalking out the wounded gazelle. And she's just cackling. I mean, in this case, hiccuping. Cackling and hiccuping and hiccuping and cackling as she leads him to his doom. And it is a kind of doom, isn't it? I'm not quite sure why yet, unless she is going to get pregnant. I'm not quite sure why this physical reunion will spell his doom, but we know it will. We know he will be, after this incident, entrapped. Perhaps it is his honor that will compel him to remarry her. But you remember, they slept together once before, when he was down in the dumps about Sue and they met and they went back, they went to a hotel and they had a little night together, a little toss in the hay. And at the time they were still technically married. So there was nothing um, particularly untoward about it, though it was out of place for both of them. She just returned from Australia and they ran into each other and, you know, la-di-da, they had a thing. Sue found out about it later and it caused a whole commotion. Uh, And in fact, it was that preliminary toss in the hay that compelled eventually Sue to accept his marriage proposal when Arabella 
came stalking around again, skulking around again, months or years later, whenever that was, looking for Jude. And because of that earlier incident, Sue thought he might fall into her clutches again and said, basically, don't go to her. I'll do whatever you want. Just don't go to her. I'll marry you even. Just don't go to her. And it was only then that Sue opened herself more fully to Jude, resulting in their more traditional relationship. It emerged from from the platonic into the more sensual. Although Sue's feelings about that own that that uh, aspect of their relationship were never made clear, whether it was just her, whether she just endured it, or whether on some level she enjoyed it, or whether she came to love it, we don't know. But from everything we know about Sue, it's hard to believe that she was that into it. Nevertheless, it did produce some kids, who uh, her then his first child murdered. <sighs> So it's a a fun book, you guys. Fun stuff. Fun stuff as she leads him up those stairs, one at a time, his boots off, his heart and feet exposed. He is going up to be burned alive. Well, I think I'll stop there. Chapter 6 has concluded. No reason to get into Chapter 7. This is the point of the show where I usually turn to my shitty little rat dog, Jack-Jack, and see how he enjoyed the episode and his reaction today is in all honesty very similar to his reaction every other time which is to say there was none then there is none now but I do miss my little guy you know curled up beside me or sometimes behind me on the reading throne you know sunrise sunset as the song goes and uh Yeah. So what's going to happen with Jude and Arabella? Once chapter seven begins, they will be, of course, post-coital. It is possible time will have elapsed. It will be possible further that Arabella is experiencing the first signs of a baby bump. We don't know. But we know it won't be good. We know we are heading towards disaster. And, you know, honestly, we've come to expect it. We've come to love it. So what will the nature of that disaster be? Will, I mean, will Arabella become pregnant? Will they marry? Find out next time on another hackle-raising episode of Obscure. But until then, I wish you adieu. Obscure is brought to you by Earwolf. For more information on Obscure, visit our show page at Earwolf.com and subscribe, won't you, in your favorite podcast app like Stitcher or Apple Podcasts so you do not miss one exciting episode of Judy Obscure. Obscure is produced 
by Jennifer Brennan, Mary Shimkin, and Robin Lynn, who also mixed and edited today's show with music composed by Craig Wedron. Special thanks to everyone at Earwolf, especially Chris Bannon, Colin Anderson, and the Earwolf engineer team of Brett Morris, Sam Kiefer, and Ryan Connor. If you would like information about sponsoring our show, email hello at midroll.com. From the wilds of Connecticut, I'm Michael Ian Black. <laughs>